produced by Podcast Architects. Hi, Shanna Borman here with Straight Talk and Honest Advice, my podcast about the journey a person takes in making the decision to divorce, that divorce process itself, and then how do you acclimate back into the world after your divorce is finished. And today I'm here with Jason Fort, who is a licensed professional counselor here in Bryan College Station. We were hosted today by the Stella Hotel, and thank you very much to them for hosting us. Um, Jason, I'd like to visit with you about some stuff. Absolutely. So I, I want you to know you've made a difference in a couple of my clients' lives. I, I have found huge differences in their attitude towards their spouse, life, parenting, all these things. And so I thought you would be a great resource to come in and maybe share some of your wisdom sure. with our viewers today. So first off, I'd like to start with what are your thoughts, um, yeah, just generally, if any, mm -hmm. about um, counseling as a process? So the way that I view counseling is that I'm kind of a tourist and my client is the tour guide. And as they're taking me on a tour of their life, I ask, is that is that supposed to be a dumpster fire? I know that that pothole's a gift from your mother, but you get a flat tire every third time we hit it. So can we fix that? And I'm not, I'm not here to control your life. I'm not here to direct your life. I'm certainly not here to say that I know best because mm -mm. But what I am here to say is, okay, so there are these flaws. And in, in cognitive behavioral therapy, they're called cognitive distortions. There are these flaws of thinking. There is this mismatch between what you believe and what is actually happening. And there is this over emphasis on the real world having control of you, your brain, your life. And I'm here to tell you that's BS. And you can have liberty and freedom in your own brain first. And then in your sphere of influence in your life around you. So it's looking at facts and taking out the story. Right. Looking at the facts of these are the things that are happening generally and how you yeah. view them is more important than how, you know, you're not a victim of those circumstances. Validating the suffering along the way, because the yeah. like the bad news is if you if you view life negatively, the emotions are already here. So we have to process that package, that shipment, that burden, that suffering first. And we have to treat it as valid. And then we get to say, but you never have to accept that shipment ever again. Mm -hmm. And then we screw up and then we work through how you screwed up and continue to move on. Because the the way that habits work and the way the beliefs work, they establish what are called established myelinated neural pathways in our brain. Mm -hmm. And so this is your, your get home routine. You kick your shoes off here, you drop your purse there, you put your keys there, you end up with your preferred beverage and your favorite chair. Mm -hmm. that's, that's that, your brain automating what you're doing. Mm -hmm. For you to kill that habit, it takes four years for your brain to unlearn that. Four years. Four years for it's like they they've done MRIs, brain scans, and it takes four years for that pathway to be gone. Wow. But it only takes thirty days for a new habit, and then it only takes six months to a year for the new habit to be stronger than the old habit. So if you sit there and say I'm going to go to therapy once and I'm going to fix all of my problems, you're wrong. Very sorry. Uh -huh. Wrong. Like no. But over the next thirty days, you fight really hard. You build a new habit. Over the next six months, you slip up a little bit, but you keep fighting for it. And then in four years, you're free. Now, that's different sometimes with drugs because that changes how our brain gets addicted to those habits and those patterns. But for the most part, in three to four years, you're free, which is also why I think I don't have data on this, but I think that's why the divorce rate goes down after you've been married for five years because hmm. it's all of your habits shifting to be a partner instead of being an individual. 
That's interesting. That's a hypothesis. I don't quite. That's, that's interesting. So when you are doing counseling with someone, mm-hmm. Jason, I want to find. I, you know, you, you mentioned cognitive behavioral therapy, mm-hmm. and that is a behavioral therapy technique in which you kind of push back, right? You you push back a little bit on the belief that that the patient has, right, or the client has, in that you say they say this is what happened and this is why it happened. You kind of go, are we sure that's why it happened? Is that right? And so I will say that cognitive behavioral therapy, while it is semi-confrontational, it's not as bad as say reality therapy, which is done by William Glasser, or gestalt therapy, which is done by Fritz Perls. Um, There's a video of Fritz Perls doing therapy, and he straight up calls the lady a phony. (laughs) So I'm not that confrontational. Not a safe place, necessarily. Well, but there's this, and there's another therapist called Whitaker. I've forgotten his first name, but he does experiential therapy. And his entire belief is you need to experience emotion. You need to get back in touch with your emotions, because you've been repressing those, because that's very good of you, in, in American culture at least. It's common elsewhere, but it's very common here. And so we're going to get you back in touch with those. And then once you're back in touch with those, you're back in contact with reality and we can move you forward. Yeah, once you're sobbing, then we can move you forward. So exactly. Okay. And so in cognitive behavioral therapy, there are some of my clients that that will yell explicatives at me because I'm right in the challenge. But I've earned that right over six to eight weeks, if not more. One of my clients have been walking with for two years now. Mm-hmm. Um and Where so you're I, building the trust. Well, building the trust, and I'm learning their life. So they're like, oh, well, this happened. I'm like, okay, so you went and saw that person, and you did this drug, and then you went and had this habit, and now you're beating yourself up for these 12 things that you're not doing. And they're like, F you, I know you're right, but I don't like it that you're right today. Mm-hmm. And so I've earned that right. I'm not just walking into someone's life and saying like, hey, I'm going to turn everything upside down because I feel like it. Mm-hmm. I'm walking in and saying, you've told me you want to stop this. But aren't there also, Jason, and this is maybe a little bit of a tangent, but aren't there also behavioral therapy techniques or there are therapy techniques that are only kind of justifying or, or validating feelings and, and, and emotions rather than allowing them to, allowing those feelings and emotions to be processed and maybe exposed to reality some? Well, so something that's interesting, I don't know if there's any that just totally validate delusional beliefs. Okay. I don't, I don't know of any, I reserve the right to be proven wrong. Okay. But like even Rogerian therapy or client-centered therapy, which is the least confrontational therapy, mm-hmm. and you, if you watch Carl Rogers' work, he doesn't let chaos and and delusion and lies win he he'll just say like wow that sounds really tough for you it sounds like this was a very awful tribulation and when you say to someone with excessive empathy appropriate to their claim this is awful this is terrible and then they realize oh well actually i'm being a bit dramatic because they realize they're taking advantage of someone who's willing to hook line and sink or eat what you're doing and so i'll start the first three to six weeks absolutely believing 100 what they say and then I'll start asking questions. Well, three weeks ago you said this, and now you're saying mm. this. So mm. based you off know, of what you, you've told me, which is it? Right. Early, early in my practice, there was a therapist who who mentioned to me that, you know, we have to validate our clients' feelings. And, you know, there was never any pushback, you know, to these delusional beliefs. So I appreciate you just you kind of explaining that to me a little bit. Um, for, for people who are, you know, in need of counseling, how would you encourage them to seek out a counselor? How do they seek a therapist? So first and foremost, be picky. Be excessively picky. And just like, I don't know how picky people are with picking their lawyers. Probably I would argue good. they need to be equally so. Mm-hmm. Because the kicker is, you're not inviting me in for like a quick one and done. Like, oh, here's the problems, move on with life. It's a, over the next six weeks to possibly three, four years, what are you inviting me into? Well, the deepest, darkest parts of your life. And if you don't trust me there, then why am I even invited? 
Mm-hmm. It's like we're not we're not doing a, a half-hearted invitation. We hope they don't show up. We hope we get to cancel those plans. I will show up every day that you show up, and I will walk as deep and as dark as you invite me. Mm-hmm. And so if I can't go there because you treat me as a threat, I'm useless to you. Mm-hmm. And so I've I've told people, <laughs> I've told people go into psychologytoday.com where I actually advertise and walk through all of the pictures and all the biographies and roast them and call them creepy and call them whatever you need to do until you settle on one, maybe four, somewhere in there that you're like, I can call that person, I can try. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of counselors and psychologists and marriage and family therapists will will do a free consultation. So you can call and get, you know, I guess the kids would say a vibe check. You can get an understanding of who they are, how they practice. Like I was on a phone, I was on the phone with a guy for five minutes yesterday. He's like, okay, you're really personable. You get where I'm coming from. I would like to schedule that appointment. I don't care if it has to be cash pay. Because the thing is, in that five to 15 minutes, most people can get an understanding of who they're dealing with. Mm -hmm. And the way that that works is these established myelinated neural pathways that our brain has taken all of our life's history, boiled it down into our beliefs, and this is where stereotypes and the negative side of this is discrimination and prejudice comes from, but it also comes from, hmm, that guy's wearing a hoodie and walking toward me aggressively. I'm gonna cross the street where it's much more lit and I know that there's cameras in front of that bank. Mm -hmm. Like it's all of these things that lead us to anticipate this person could be well or ill for our Mm -hmm. well-being. And so be picky shop around if you go to three sessions and they just don't cut it for you fire them they're like therapists there are some who will take offense to that and they need to grow in their personal journey your your responsibility is not to their paycheck mm-hmm. it's to your mental recovery sage that is very good advice that's very good advice when you're seeking mental health help seek it for you yes you know you're not trying don't don't try to make anybody else yep. happy in that in that journey um you know, divorce can be hard and you, you've dealt with a couple of my clients, yep. right? And that's both post process and I guess even during process. Um, you know, I'd like to know your thoughts on how, how you hear clients struggle with that decision, like the decision to divorce. What, what fears do they express to you? What, what are the most common things that you see in terms of the barriers they create for themselves? Well, so I will not make it to all of these, but we'll make it through the ones that I can. Because, <laughs> um, like, that's the thing is, it's just, it's, divorce is nasty and pervasive. It is. And what it tugs on in terms of fears and anxieties. And I'm going to separate fear and anxiety real quick. Anxiety is is our fear response, which is the hippocampal pituitary adrenal axis. It's that being triggered for a future event. Mm-hmm. Fear is I throw a snake at you, which I never will, I promise. <laughs> anxiety is well did he bring one well like what if he finds me later what if he works with one of my staff to get one for like halloween next year like it's not going to happen but anxiety is it's it's i call it cognitively curated catastrophes there are these future events that will what if i am homeless what if i lose the kids what if i lose the dogs you know most women's shelters don't accept pets so how am i going to keep the pets which keep my kids sanity barely intact and they the dog will play with them when i can't how do I keep all of this and also kick the schmuck out of the house? Mm-hmm. And so it's it's that. It's it's what am I going to do for housing? How are my finances going to look? And especially in single income homes aren't as common these days, but they still exist. So if you are the non-working partner, like what does that look like for me? Mm-hmm. How long does it take for a child support, spousal support, all of that to get figured out? And if it doesn't, well, I worked my butt off so that they could get their doctorate, their master's, whatever else. I'm now degreeless and I'm getting kicked out. What do I do? Mm-hmm. Um, there's that. 
And then there's also, there's a lot of stigma. I mean, we are in the Bible Belt. My Baptist grandfather said after my grandmother had died, when my mom asked him, did you ever consider divorce? He said, divorce, no, murder, yes. <laughs> and so... Murder's much more palatable <laughs> here in Texas than divorce, I guess, in your grandfather's eyes. And so that, you know, we, we are in a place where divorce is is tantamount to heresy. And it's it's worse to commit heresy than to be beaten within an inch of your life in some families. Mm -hmm. And I'm not okay with that from this side of the Kool-Aid stand that I say as a religious person, that's not okay. Mm -hmm. And so if your family are going to judge you and they're not going to support you, are they really family? If your friends are going to abandon you for your partner, who's the abuser, whether it's the man or the woman, because women are more likely to abuse men are more likely to do damage. Oh, that's an interesting part. That, that's really yes. interesting. I, I hate to interrupt you there, no, but you're that's fine. really interesting. Yeah, women are more likely to hit, more likely to offend, but because the strength disparity of sexual differences, yes. men are more likely to do damage. Wow. Okay, keep going. I'm sorry to have interrupted you, but You're that's fine. fantastic. And so fears of divorce, um, what, what does the next 15, 20 years look like? What does the next three months look like? What does the next 15 days look like? Mm -hmm. You know, he hasn't hit me. I don't have any bruises, so I can't get a restraining order, but I can serve divorce orders. So how long before there are bruises, how do I protect myself? Mm -hmm. And I don't. There's only one women's shelter that I know of in town, and they house a total of eight people, and that's the Emanuel Lighthouse. They don't accept new. And most people look at Twin City Mission. Well, it does really good work. Most people aren't going to take themselves there. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. what what resources are available in the Brazos Valley, I think, are a bit poor, but it's kind of – it's the nature of an emerging metropolitan area. Mm -hmm. We just don't have everything to keep up for services for everyone. Mm -hmm. And so do you ever have people who say, you know, he doesn't beat me. He doesn't gamble. He's not an alcoholic. I'm just miserable. And so what is yeah. that? You know, is there, is that enough? Does that, is that enough of a reason, you know, people struggling with that, with that question? <laughs> well, and so this is where I, 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 I mean, I joke with my clients, that this is where I pull out my schizophrenic brain because there's my personal opinion. There's my professional opinion. There's my counseling opinion. And there's my religious opinion. Holy cow. And so that's a lot of opinions. Jason. Psychologically, Counseling wise, I can't tell you what to do. I'm not here for that. Of course. Personally and, and religiously, there's a lot more overlap there. I think that there are a few reasons that are good for divorce. But in a in a in a in a greater perspective, there's a lot of reasons. And are all of them good enough? Well, maybe yes, maybe no. But I think that you need to be honest with yourself. Is this good enough? Because mm -hmm. if it's not, and if you're lying to your kids or if you're saying to your kids, oh well, I'm I'm just miserable. And then your kids ask, well, why? Explain the misery to me. Well, you'll just, you just won't understand it. But they're like 12 through 18. Yeah, they probably will mm -hmm. if you try. And if you can't get it down, I don't think anyone will be able to perfectly explain it to a five-year-old. Having a five-year-old, I couldn't explain everything that I go through to a five-year-old. But in, in teens, if you can't explain your misery to them, then are you really certain about it? And not that you shouldn't get divorced if you're uncertain, because it's hard to find clarity and certainty in the presence of abuse and suffering, mm -hmm. 110%. Mm -hmm. But if you're not certain as to why, the likelihood that you will regret it when you gain clarity later is much higher. Hmm. And so... That's interesting. Do you want to divorce without clarity, get clarity, come back, be reminded of the issues, but then it'd be too late again? Yes. Yes. And so I would I encourage people, one of the things that I do is I encourage people to stop shooting on themselves mm -hmm. and shooting on each other. Mm -hmm. um, and so I ask them to take that should, I should get divorced. Yeah, I should stay. I or should, should stay, or I should, I should stay for the kids, I should do this, I should do that. Mm -hmm. What are your options? 
as we've discussed earlier, murder is an option. It's mm -hmm. not the best one, but it's technically on the table. Mm -hmm. Eloping the country with the kids is technically an option that, that makes you a kidnapper of children. I mean, we see Amber Alerts every day that it's like, oh, wait, that's actually the bio dad that just didn't give the kids exactly. back in time. And okay, that, right. there's, there's right. Right. hemming and hawing there. And so why? Dig into it for yourself. Not just mm -hmm. I'm suffering and it's too much. Because a lot of people, it's irreconcilable differences. I'm like, okay, but that's because you were both stubborn children instead of married adults. Well, you know, what I see a lot of times is that people are unhappy. Yeah. And it's easy for people to say I'm unhappy because yeah. marriage, right? my, my spouse. Yeah. And then when they're divorced from their spouse, they're still unhappy. Correct. And so then they're like, <laughs> well, I'm now I'm unhappy, but I don't have a spouse to blame it on. So what the hell's going on? Correct. You know, and now I have I blame to do all now? of my own laundry. Right. And pay all of my yeah, and make sure the kids get all the places that that the kids have to get during my my position time. And no one's helping me in the kitchen. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So, and that's that is that is where a concept comes into play called locus of control. So, locus of control psychologically is where is the power of the thing located. Mm -hmm. So, when we make the statement "you make me unhappy," mm -hmm. we're blaming them for our emotion. Mm -hmm. So now your spouse has mind power, mind control powers. Mm -hmm. Not no, mm -hmm. your happiness, your satisfaction—that's an internal issue. Mm -hmm. Now, if I step on your foot. Have I caused you pain and anger? Not necessarily. I have caused you pain, but how you react to it base, is based on what you believe about me stepping on your feet. Mm -hmm. If mm -hmm. we're in a crowded subway in New York, well, that's just going to happen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or if we're here in this room and you did it on purpose. Uh, well, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, or I was an accident because I can't yeah. see your feet. Right. I just know they're there. But, you know, that that is such an interesting component where you see people, um, you, you know, going through and struggling and they're, they divorce and then they have a, a place of clarity right? You, you couch it in those terms. I couch it in terms of people are just sometimes unhappy yeah. and they don't know why they're unhappy. They don't know what to do to fix it. And right? so I would, I would encourage people to go find someone, help them find that. Right. Like, so maybe you need to get separated for a while. Maybe you need to ask for a break. Maybe. And, and genuinely, I think that people do not communicate their dissatisfaction soon enough. Mm-hmm. If you're, if you're upset, if you're grumbly, if there are problems, talk about it. Mm -hmm. um, one of, oh, I don't remember who I was listening to, but they were talking about if, if the option of running away exists, then you can't tell the truth. The option of running away exists, you can't tell the truth. Because if you tell them enough bad truth, they'll take that option. They'll run away. They'll run away. So now our fear of abandonment drives our secrecy. Uh. And so we're piling shame upon shame instead of being open and genuine and connected. So just by the fact of, well, divorces may be an option, now we've killed the marriage. Huh. That's an interesting <laughs> idea, isn't it? That's really interesting. You know, if I if I'm completely transparent to you and I tell you all my deep dark, yeah. then you might leave me and reject me. Yeah. And I don't want you to leave me and reject me. So now I'm gonna keep all my deep dark super secret and I'm gonna struggle in silence and then blame you for my struggling because mm -hmm. I can't share with you. Yeah. Right. But the decision of unapproachability was mine, not yours. Exactly. And so it's it's this convoluted mix. And it's not it's not to say that there aren't people that genuinely make their partner unhappy like that mm -hmm. that happens mm -hmm. but again the making connection the causal relation between them and you it's about your beliefs and so in cognitive behavioral therapy it's automatic thoughts what are the deep set beliefs the core beliefs the automatic thoughts about that interaction mm -hmm. so your emotion doesn't come from the real world i i view it as kind of the, the dash in your car emotions are check engine lights they're telling you something's weird something's funny and what it should be according to your belief system, isn't. Mm -hmm. And so you need to go fix that. And you need so to emotion, fix the belief or you need to fix what's The, what's the real world event that your beliefs have interpreted to be an issue. Okay. And okay. so the simplest way that I can describe emotion is inside doesn't match outside. Here's a generic symbol to go fix that. 
And so because a lot of us view, at least in this country and the people that I've talked to, well, there's negative emotions and there's positive emotions and you have to hide all of the negative emotions. Mm -hmm. Well, I would argue that your low gas light is a negative check engine light, mm -hmm. but it's telling you get gas or get stuck. And you go and you get gas, you positively impact your car, you get to keep driving it. And so I would argue that all of our negative, not feel good emotions like sadness, sadness says you've experienced a loss mm -hmm. and you need to come to terms with your internal books don't match what's outside now. And you have to accept that. Mm -hmm. And so maybe it's grieving, maybe it's re uh, replacement, but you have to be careful with replacement because you can't replace grandma. You can't replace a spouse. So you have to grieve some of that. Mm -hmm. And then when you're done with that, your brain says, okay, the books are balanced. We're good to go. Mm -hmm. And then you can move forward without it. That is so fascinating. I love that. And so the way that I teach it is there, I teach that there are eight emotions. Brene Brown came out with something recently. She's a phenomenal. Oh, she's amazing. She's amazing. amazing. She's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Book says 87 emotions and experiences. So maybe I'm. Wow. You might, you might be missing something. Probably you wrong because I'm, I, you know, I'm just a licensed professional counselor. But I always reserve the right to be proven wrong because I'm not, I'm not the top of my field. I don't pretend to be ever. Mm -hmm. I'm just here to help the best I can. Mm -hmm. And so these emotions come from beliefs or automatic thoughts and they drive behavior. And once we complete the appropriate behavior, the emotion goes away. Mm -hmm. And the issue has been resolved either because we've altered our beliefs or we've altered our reality. You know, most people, I'm going to argue, it's okay for you to believe that someone threatening you with a gun is an injustice. We're not going to change that belief. Mm -hmm. Someone disagreeing with you is not, though. And we need to work on that because every time that your abusive ex-spouse disagrees with you or says something wrong, if you take that as an offense and it emotionally destroys your day, why are you giving them control? Oh, you're so smart. That is exactly that. Is and exactly so right. you've given them control because you've been abused and conditioned and trained over the however many years mm -hmm. that y'all have been together. So I don't judge that, but I'm asking, does it need to keep happening? Does that pothole you got need to stay? Like Can let's uninstall that, that button that he pushes. Yeah. yeah or that they yeah. push. Yeah. Right. That they installed. Yeah. And right. so just because a spouse or even your parents know how to push the buttons reliably causing emotions doesn't mean we can't help you unwire the button. Exactly. So they just push an empty null. Exactly. Outcome. Exactly. And that isn't that the, the point of all counseling, right? I mean, to help to help deactivate as many buttons as possible so that you're not triggered by and things that happen. And activate good buttons. Yes, yes. Because a lot of a lot of the people that are fleeing an abuser got there because they had no boundaries. Their boundaries got destroyed, or they didn't understand how boundaries worked at all in the first place. Because we don't teach that ever. Mm -hmm. At least as far as I know, in American education, we don't set them like, here's how we appropriately do boundaries so that you won't get abused. But we, we don't do that. Mm -hmm. We don't talk about our emotions either. Like you're barely allowed to grieve at funerals for crying out loud. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so we need to put some buttons in place. Like, oh, when this person says this, that's horribly offensive. Like, how could your mother say that to you? Mm -hmm. Let's 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 plan on helping mom be less passive aggressive in your direction. Mm -hmm. Or at least keep enough distance to where it doesn't affect you. Or, yeah. you know, it's it's harder for her to get to you. Yes. Right, right. Um, you know, in a divorce process, people have these emotions we've talked mm -hmm. about. They, you know, grieve. They have to grieve the, the loss of the marriage. Or you know. celebrate, depending or on celebrate, how awful it was. Right. <laughs> um, but a lot of times what they're worried about is their kids, the effect on their yeah. children. Uh, so so can we take just a, just a hot minute here, Jason, and let's talk about, is there a time when it's easier for kids to experience the separation of their parents than other, like age ranges? Um, is there an ideal time for parents to divorce? Or is there, are there, are there, is there research that supports, you know, any particular 
uh, yeah. things that we should be mindful of. So I'm going to put small provisors out there that that is not my field of specialty. Like that's that's child psychologist. That's that's child. And yeah, but you, I mean, that, you you kind of. I'm do, but the proviso is going to be out there that there right. may be research that I don't I haven't read or don't have access to, and I reserve the right to be proven wrong always, like yes. I said earlier. Mm -hmm. And so I believe that they have found that children with two parents even if they don't like each other, but they're able to be amicable and, and run a house, they do better than single parent homes. And this, I think they've found, again, it doesn't matter if it's man, woman, man, man, woman, woman, that really doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Or even grandparents, grandparents, parents, like that doesn't, it's, it's that there are two functioning people that can help and assist and, and nurture the children. They do better than single parent homes. But if, if we have a child in a, two-person, two-parent home that is volatile and there's abuse, there's aggression, there's passive-aggressive, there's all of that mess, which is one of the common reasons for divorce is that mess is too much. Mm -hmm. I think those kids do worse because they are traumatized. They're taught that boundaries don't work. They're taught that might is right. They're taught that violence of voice or action because women tend to be more violent in word and men tend to be more violent in action mm -hmm. because that's just the, the split that tends to happen there. Mm -hmm. And so they learn both. They become violent in action. They become violent in word. They have a lot of trauma that predicts a lot of negative things for the rest of our life. And so that case definitely splitting, trying to be more amicable works best. Uh -huh. And really I would argue the best time for a divorce is to ensure that safety happens. So not an age for the child, but more a situation for what the yeah. parents are experiencing at the time. Because if y'all if y'all have, let's say we have a very amicable divorce. I don't like you anymore. You don't like me anymore. Let's just be done with it. Mm -hmm. You can do that carefully and slowly. Like one of you maybe moves out. Maybe one of you moves to another, another room in the house, whatever. And you start working with your kids and saying, like, look, look, here's the reasons. We don't like each other. We don't think that staying in the house is going to be good for anybody. We tend to get catty and bratty with each other, and we don't want to model that for you. We believe that that's inappropriate behavior. Mm -hmm. As the parents, we want to be better for you, and we've come to the logical conclusion that the only way to do that is separately. Mm -hmm. Now, that's super ideal. I don't know of many marriages that end that way. Mm -hmm. I, I have one that I'm, I'm seeing one of the kids that I think is going to go that way for the most part with some spiciness along the way. But, but I don't. But that's them getting along, right? So getting. But along, they are separating due to irreconcilable differences. Right. So they have different morals and perspectives. No volatility. Can be done. Some, mm -hmm. some, but they're working on reducing it. Mm -hmm. And so I think, I think that an amicable divorce done with like preteens and teens where we're able to explain everything and be like, look, like mom and dad don't get along and here's why, or dad and dad don't get along and here's mm -hmm. why. I think that that goes best. Um, it's possible that divorce, if you have like sub three-year-olds where they're not really going to remember much of anything might go better, mm -hmm. but that's a prediction. I don't have data on that. Mm -hmm. That's my hypothesis. Because mm -hmm. if you don't remember them, then. Right. But three to teen. No, no, no. Sorry. Uh, 10 into teens. Because you can explain to them and, and oh, ten into teen. Okay, yes, so so yes. three to ten, it, that's a that's a more difficult time. <laughs> I hear you know under three. Yeah. So trying to have an argument with a five year old logically as as the father of a five year old and twin two year olds, it just. Mm. <laughs> and so in the in the five to ten, they have less emotional regulation. They're stuck in the more concrete phases of their cognitive development. And so they're not able to get these abstract concepts of love and hate and and we don't like each other for 
a numerous quantity of reasons when when you know three to ten is like i like dinosaurs because they're cool mm -hmm. not because of all of these deep reasons that go into divorce mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so so the, the emotional maturity level yeah like kind of an inability to process those things because it's a little bit beyond their capability at that yes. at that stage yes Right. So when we're when when parents are looking at that and, you know, making the decision, um, you know, you said safety is should should be the biggest yeah. factor. Right. Um, what advice would you give to someone who is in that environment where they are not feeling safe? Well, and so the, the levels of safety vary. Right. Like if if they come if your partner comes home drunk, I did it on purpose. I'm sorry. Just kidding. Yeah, yeah, right. Squish. <laughs> If, if your partner comes home every night drunk and is going to beat you or one of the kids, like that's 911, that's restraining order, get out now, call your lovely lawyers and they'll get all the paperwork handled. And you may not even need to go that far. The cops may be able to hand most of it until the lawyers can get involved. Out. Just out. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, there's things with, you know, um, my brain will work in a second. But if it's, if it's verbal, if it's these other things, it's hard to get restraining orders on those. Mm -hmm. I, I don't have experience with that, but I imagine you fought those battles. Mm -hmm, for sure. Where it's like, no, like he comes in, calls her a piece of trash, da 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 da, -da or vice versa. Right. And, well, we can't justify a restraining order, just deal with it. And it's like, mm, this is the problem. And so in that instance, start, as soon as you're worried about that safety becoming a risk, start looking for who are my resources? Who are my people? Do I need to call out of town? Like there's a, there's a fabulous women's shelter in the Dallas area called gateway, but I think there's some limitations. Like, I don't think you could get in from Brazos County, mm -hmm. but what are your options? What are your resources? And if you don't have them start asking around. And so that's, that's one benefit of finding counselors is even if the counselor doesn't be like, Hey, here's a referral straight to that place. They can be like, I have a friend, I have a contact. There's someone I can call. There's someone I can deal with. And I imagine that you've accumulated this mm -hmm. vast list over your years as well right. of like, okay, I don't have the answer, but these 12 people might. Mm -hmm. Exactly. <laughs> and then if it's, I want to, I guess, delineate safety and discomfort. Okay. Because being emotionally mature and having the conversations you need to have to be mature growing adults are uncomfortable. They will never be nice. They will never be comfortable because you are two separate people who've grown in different ways that may not comply. So are you going to grow apart or are you going to prune parts of yourselves to cooperate again? Because either you're done because you've refused it or they've refused it or you've both refused change. Mm -hmm. And so my wife says I need to clean more around the house because she's breastfeeding triplets and I'm not really helping with that is uncomfortable. It's not a lack of safety or vice versa. My husband's gearing up for end of month sales and he has to work 60 hours this week or else he's at risk of getting fired. That's not lack of safety. That's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I don't get to decide what safety is for you. You would need to decide that for yourself. Mm -hmm. And there, you know, there are moms that are going to come in. They're going to be like, well, this is unsafe. I said, well, is it unsafe to you? And invariably, I'm going to encourage people to trust your gut and then verify later. So, Jason, we were one of my clients, you you taught her this phrase, and I want to just kind of briefly yeah. touch on this. Um, it was the difference between suboptimal and dangerous. Yeah. And so in that, how would you encourage people to make that discernment? So first and foremost, I want to be very clear that you need to make that decision for yourself because if you trust what somebody else says on the internet, like it's likely not going to be fully applicable to your situation and circumstance. So again, like I said earlier, trust your gut, verify later, you know, 
are, are three dishes left undone? I'm being a little pedantic here. Okay, is that dangerous for anyone? No. Is leaving knives on the counter where the three-year-old can reach it dangerous? Absolutely. And so there's this, the state and the law, as you've well experienced, isn't always clear on what neglect and abuse technically are, mm -hmm. but they're happy to rule it in court. And so there are thing, things like, well, you left a you know, a six-month-old who is not capable of rolling over on their stomach with blankets in their bed. That has been proven across the board that both of those increase the likelihood of SIDS. That's very dangerous. Mm -hmm. Kids sleeping in a pack-and-play over an actual crib. Well, that's not actually dangerous, but it is suboptimal. It would be nicer if the kid had a standard bed mm -hmm. and a fully operating room, but do they have the option for that? Maybe, maybe not. Is your ex being a cheapskate? Well, there's a risk of that. That's suboptimal. It's not inherently dangerous mm -hmm. are they using the best formula on the market maybe not but is the worst formula the cheapest formula that they're able to afford is that the worst mm -hmm. not necessarily mm -hmm. and so the will someone get injured suffer or die as a result of the behavior yes or no and if the answer is no then is it your personal internal preference that they change because if it's your preference and you're trying to control other people with your preference, you're going to be severely disappointed every time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so it's more of that if it isn't a safety issue, now it's a negotiation. Right. Right. Well said. Well said. Thank you, Jason. Thank you so much for coming and Absolutely. sharing Thank your you wisdom with our with our um, our viewers. I'm hoping you'll come back. Sometime I would love and to. We'll explore back. more. We'll have more a bigger discussion. Thanks. So. Thank you. Thanks for joining us with Straight Talk and Honest Advice. We'll see you next time. Produced by Podcast Architects.